Let's talk about WeWork or the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn. You know, this is one of those documentaries where as I was watching it, I was thinking about what could have been a cleverer title for this, you know, because it doesn't yeah, have that, that clever that's a title. a bulky of a title. Right. It doesn't have like the, uh, you know, what was the Theranos one? Like Bad Blood or whatever, or, you know. Oh, The Inventor? For Th- Theranos? What? Was it called The Inventor? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Out for Blood. That's what it was. Out for Blood in Silicon yeah. Valley. The Inventor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like something like that, you know, where it's like, oh, we're having a little bit more fun with it. They, they didn't really do anything with with that here it's kind of like fire fest where it's just like that's the name of it fire you know <laughs> but uh yeah this is a new documentary on hulu it was written and directed by jed rothstein and the documentary follows the long running and still in some ways ongoing saga of WeWork, which is a kind of an infamous real estate tech startup that started out in new york it was founded co-founded by adam newman a very eccentric I don't want to say billionaire, I guess multimillionaire, who started the company, had a very specific vision around it, and this this documentary gets into what happened with it. Now, I will be honest, Will, I didn't know much about WeWork at all until about two years ago when mm-hmm. stuff with it started to hit the fan. And I remember seeing a lot of like uh, a lot of like chatter about it online. I remember seeing like I think it was like a CNBC yeah. video about it that kind of like went over the broad strokes. And this documentary doesn't even cover mm-hmm. everything. It really doesn't. Like there's a lot more oh, to no, what it does went not. down here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and to the point where it's like they constantly talk about like the two inventors of WeWork, but the other guy, I don't even think they really hear his side of the story at all. I was yeah. kind of curious about that. I don't know if that bothered you at all. They don't even say at the end because they say at the end that uh Adam Newman and his wife, they refused to participate in this documentary. They didn't respond, you right. know, didn't do anything for it, which, you know, you can kind of expect. But at the same time, right. um, they don't say anything about his co-founder, Miguel. I forget his last name. So, yeah, it's curious. I don't know. I just found it weird because it's like they don't ignore him because they, they show videos of him, like they show pictures yeah. of him. But like they don't ever like bring him up or like his involvement in the making or breaking of the company. It's just like it was an odd decision, I felt. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So in that sense, I think this is a very like workmanlike documentary. It it does what it sets out to do. I think that it gives a comprehensive, certainly not complete. There's, there's you know, everyone's going to complain that your documentary is not going to have everything. But I do think it's comprehensive. It gives you a good idea of where Adam Newman comes from, what sort of informs his like tech CEO persona that he's going for here. Uh, specifically, they get into like how his nomadic lifestyle as a kid informs his vision for this company, which is that he really, it seems like his initial intention and what he really stuck to for a long time was he wanted people to be a little bit more connected in a face-to-face environment. I mean, it's kind of sad when you consider what happened with the pandemic and all the isolation that happened for so long and in some ways still is happening. When the idea though behind like people sharing workspace in a way that's a little, you know, a little bit more millennial, I guess, which you can take that as you will. Uh, I remember WeWork being such a buzzy sort of thing. Mostly I knew of it in like New York, where if you wanted a co-working space, WeWork was like kind of the cool kid on the block. It was where you could go to like get beer on the keg and they had like baristas. And this is just a place where people who 
are very much like a Silicon Valley mindset of like, they want to start the next big app. You know, they want to start the next Uber, the next Facebook or whatever. They use these WeWork spaces yeah. to sort of not just work, but collaborate and meet other people. And it's like second college, I guess. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I, I think that's fair because I think uh, similar to you, I remember like the fallout of this. Like I, I remember that story that they talk about at the end. But I remember thinking, like, I don't really understand what WeWork is. Like, I don't really get what the company is. And watch the movie, I now have a, I guess, vague idea of what WeWork is, which I guess is kind of the point, because it's like the company itself never fully figured out what it wanted to be exactly, because it was trying to be everything at once, seemingly. Right. Um, it's it's a good business model that they ruined by adding like fourteen other business models to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for a variety of reasons, it, it definitely falls uh, falls flat in a pretty spectacular fashion. Right. So I, I guess if I was to describe what WeWork sort of was, and, you know, this is an amateur's depiction at best, the idea is that, like, there are people who they don't want to work from home all the time, but they maybe are starting their own business, and a co-working space sort of gives you a chance to rent out uh, the way you would rent out an apartment, rent out office space, but without having to pay for a ton of space that you would not use. So WeWork was kind of like this innovative thing where you could be like, I just want like a desk and I want to use the amenities. And they offered people who had some startup money, who had the income, or maybe they had money from their family to go to these places and have that desk where they, they didn't have to work for a corporation. They didn't have to work for a buzzy startup uh, you know, directly. They could actually just go to these places. And there were a lot of people who did work for big businesses or they were in grad school who could use these spaces. And they were sort of like social gatherings, you know? And I think that business model makes a lot of sense. It's why they were really successful in the very beginning. They had a lot of buzz. People really liked the interior design aesthetic of it. It was sort of offering value to a sort of concept that people usually don't really look forward to in their day. Like people who work every day don't usually think like, oh man, you know, like my workspace is really cool and really fun and exciting. There is that sort of mentality that that is something that's out here uh, where I where I am, which is like the Bay Area, you know, like people go to work for, or people like working at places like Google, for example, because they have like, what, the slide, you know, Facebook has like free food and all of these perks and all these things. And I think it was a really smart idea to try to bring a little bit of that work hard, play hard mentality to people who don't work for these tech places because, you know, not everybody can. And I think that is fine. But I think where this movie gets it right in a lot of ways is how they unravel how Adam Newman's style as a CEO. <laughs> and I do appreciate that they, they go to pretty specific lengths to be like, here's what he did wrong. <laughs> and here's how you ruin the goodwill, that sort of thing. And here's how you go from being a guy with a vision to being barely better than a cult leader, I guess. Uh, so I, yeah, I think this this is an okay documentary. It's not amazing, but I liked it. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, that's more or less where I'm at. I thought it was fine. Uh, similar to you, I felt like there was a more complete story here that either due to their own limitations as far as like access or like the fact that they filmed this, I think, primarily last year. So there was like some like COVID related difficulties in terms of like putting it together and getting access to different people. Um, there are different things that help the help them back in terms of like telling the full story, but in terms of what they do have access to and the subjects that they can talk to, I think by and large, it gives a, a decent impression or a decent overview of what exactly happened here. Like I said, I don't 
fully really understand the story yet, but again, enough an idea of the creator's rise and fall to, you know, get an intriguing story. I think compared to movies we were talking about before, like, I don't think this is quite as investing as the Fire Festival documentaries, just because that, that was a little bit more spectacular in terms of uh, everything falling apart there. Yeah. And then I don't think this story is quite as interesting as the Elizabeth Holmes one, because like that one, I think there's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more going on there and stuff like that. It's a little bit more national of a story. More nefarious. So like, too. there's and there's like, yeah, more nefarious too as well. And and you know, like people's lives were like more directly affected by that uh, story in a way that I think is a little bit more investing and, and makes it a little bit more uh, clear-eyed in its approach. Whereas this one. Like you were saying, like I, I think it gives a decent overview of like um, Adam's whole story and like how he could be a sympathetic and charismatic personality, but also how he could be pretty manipulative and uh, you know uh, painting a false picture of his uh, image, which is an aspect the film I actually do really like. Is that they're able to show like how the media can like create this false narrative in a way that's like not really malicious in terms of like how they approach it, but like how you can be easily kind of duped into like believing this sort of idea in a way that I think right. is uh, pretty intriguing. I think that's some of the, the stronger aspects of the film. And I do think, generally speaking, that the um, stories that we get from the co-workers are when the movie stands out the most, just because not only are they the most, like, outlandish in terms of, like, these wild parties and, like, these, like, you know, drinking escapades and, like, these weird latte stories and stuff like that, but I also just think they're kind of more the heart of the story because it's, like, they're the ones that have a little bit more effects. Uh, like, they're affected more by this than the higher up people who, you know, generally speaking, are going to be fine by this. Um, I I think their story is a little bit more interesting. And I think they're when we do actually kind of focus more on them, the documentary shines. But I agree with you that I think the execution of it, it it definitely plays as you would expect. It it doesn't really do a whole lot stylistically that we haven't seen before. It's a lot of like talking head segments and then like news footage and stuff like that. So I I think they could have done a little bit more to make this uh, a little bit more intriguing, but I think there's enough here. And then I think they present, like you said, in a way that's like not taking the people off the hook. And I I don't think it like villainizes the employees who are just, you know, kind of, you know, they, they wanted to have work environment that was a little bit more fun than your average place and and i think they they recognize like how they could have been deceived by that but not like scolding them necessarily well not letting them fully off the hook either i think that's where the movie really finds a nice balance but the rest of it just kind of fell a little bit uh incomplete compared to compared to that segment you know judging documentaries is really difficult because when you evaluate a documentary you're really operating by a totally different set of criteria than you are a narrative film. You really are, because you have to take in all of these other factors, even what you said there about how, you know, it's a lot of talking heads. And I think what you're alluding to there is that there are a lot of documentaries that are sort of like, okay, you know, it's gonna be informational. That is the goal of this documentary. I think that's fine. Like most documentaries, that's kind of just all that they're setting out to do, which is why I think most documentaries by and large are pretty average, you know, like you watch them and you you feel like you get out of them what's intended and you you learn something and for the most part, you know, you get you get a pretty decent overview of the the topic and it's entertaining enough that you sit through it and it's it's a decent experience. So that's what I mean by average. Average not being a slight. But there are documentaries and including the the fire one, the, the not the one that I think came out on uh, Hulu, but I think the one that came out on Netflix, I want to say, where there is an art to interviews for your talking heads where you get people to say things 
that they would never say otherwise. That to me is like what makes True. a great documentary stand out from just an okay one. And I think like that fire one, mm -hmm. why do you think people still talk about that one guy who tells the blowjob story, you know? Because right, they right. they were so good at getting those people to spill all of the gossip. And it, of course, part of that too is that the situation itself was so out of the box that that was the case. But I was thinking during this one, I was like, they're not really driving a lot of commentary out of the people who work there that is that surprising or complex. Like I feel like they would have said that to anybody is sort of like where I land, mm -hmm. even though it's interesting stuff. I think the right. only thing that kind of made my eyebrows perk up a little bit was the journalist who sort of touches on that thing of like, when you're, when you're in media and you're talking to these people, you know, even when you're skeptical, you err on the side of like giving them the benefit of the doubt and not that you fully believe them, but just allowing it to be the case because you're not sure. And there is a huge problem there where like we, we sort of like err on the side of caution in that case, you know, where like you and I aren't like, you know, we don't, we're not like journalists, like from spotlight or anything like that, but we, we do evaluate things to some degree. We're not serious film journalists to be to be totally clear, but yeah. you know what I'm saying? I mean, I have a journalism degree, so I, I, I have some oh, background okay. in this for All sure. Right. Go <laughs> yeah. ahead, put on, yeah, yeah, raise your, I'm your just turtle saying, neck and, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm just saying I have a background in this, I've studied this. <laughs> to sure, be fair. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm not clowning on you, Will Ashen, you are, uh, you are, you are the, you are the educated man here. I mean, I did, I did learn all about journal. I took journalism classes, I have a comms degree and everything like that, but still, I, you know, never been my focus. Yeah, but what what do you think? I mean, does any of that sound okay? I mean, I feel like I'm just kind of like riffing a little bit here because I do think reviewing documentaries is so freaking weird sometimes. Uh, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know, especially coming off of South, uh, South by Southwest, which was this was a part of, I don't know if we mentioned that, it was a South by Southwest film that I think yeah. we just put off until now because we knew it was going to be on Hulu. But um, yeah, I mean, I think... The, having watched so many documentaries from that festival, you, you do kind of notice like a pattern or like a stylistic choice that a lot of movies like that tend to follow. And it, it does kind of take the luster out of it a little bit. I think the fact that it is a real story does, um, you know, but generally by and large make it more interesting than a narrative film. But um, I, I do agree with you that I think the subjects here, they kind of vary. Like I feel like they were kind of held back either because the story is too fresh or because like they they have kind of complicated feelings about the subject or whatever, but like the, the interviews that stand out to me are like, um, I don't remember the woman's name, but like the woman that like, oh, kind of has like a scorched earth approach. The, oh, the woman that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope this is a spoiler. I forget her name, but yeah, I know you're talking about. She's like the disgruntled employee. Yeah. The, the one that leaks the information. I don't know if that's a spoiler to say, but, um, her perspective I think is really fascinating. Cause it's like, it's pretty clear to eye, but she also like acknowledges like how she can be kind of like duped into this perspective and stuff like that. And I think like her, I, I kind of wanted more perspectives like hers. Cause I feel like that story is pretty interesting. And I also think the assistants, like she, I think she gets close to like what you're talking about. Like where we kind of get this one pretty damning, uh, story from her. And how like mentally it like really affected her working in this work environment. Yeah. But I don't know if like the, the filmmakers are like too like sensitive or they didn't want to like explore that. That's understandable. But it's like I feel like they if we kind of got a little bit more of that, that's kind of got more of the like complicated uh, persona of Adam. Like I think that would have made it a little bit more rich of a documentary. It just kind of felt like 
we are almost there. Like, it is a pretty slick, like, well-edited, well-produced documentary in that, like, it, it moves pretty quickly. Like, there's yeah. enough, like, outlandish stories and stuff like that that I wasn't ever, like, really, really bored by it. I kind of feel like it was held back and, like, either they didn't have enough access to information or, like you said, maybe the, the filmmakers aren't quite adept enough at, like, ringing out these type of stories from the people involved or whatever. But, yeah, it, it, it is it, – it's – it's fine, but it did kind of feel like, okay, like compared to these other documentaries we're talking about, which aren't like a whole lot better, but I find they're a little bit more memorable or they kind of like leave a bigger impression on me because they're able to kind of find that balance a little bit easier in a way that this movie, it, it has to work for a little bit more. No pun intended. Yeah, but you're, you're right. It does go, it does go down pretty easy. You know, they, they pace it well. It doesn't overstate. It's welcome. It You're in, you're out with this one. It's only 104 minutes. I, I Yeah, I think it's lean and to the point, which I appreciate because for me, I wasn't expecting anything out of this that was going to sort of like change my impression about anything. But at the same time, I do think there was an opportunity here to maybe comment a little bit more. And I, I was kind of messaging you about this like while I was watching this movie. But I personally am so fascinated by the way that I think millennials are sort of graduating. And I'm talking about millennials sort of like in our corner of it you know there's we're middle millennials mostly right like i guess you're closer to the younger side of it but. i'm late millennial yeah i'm like i'm i think i'm like on the cusp technically you mean wait late millennial you mean uh early millennial sorry sorry i guess if, yeah i mean I, I what i mean is that like like i think the the latest millennial is like 95 and i'm 93 uh, or like it's 94 95 oh i see what you're saying because because yeah I, I thought you were saying like late because like the oldest millennials are in their like getting up to almost 40. Oh, no, no, right? no. That's what I thought you meant. I was like, how old are you really, Will? <laughs> uh, no, but yeah. I'm 57. Um, I've been living a lie this yeah. whole time. Um, no, I, I, I meant like late into like the like, the the bracket or whatever, the the definition of a, millenn of a millennial. So Sure, sure. Um, I, yeah. Specifically, I'm talking about millennials who enter the workforce during or right after the... 2008 recession. So for me, I, I entered it a little bit late because I was still in college when the recession was going on, but then I entered that workforce. So I'm not like on the older side of the millennial spectrum, right? And I do think that there is this new professional, young professional attitude of the modern millennial of that time that is sort of transitioning from really believing the message of these tech CEOs who they themselves, you know, Zuckerberg and Adam Newman, like they're millennials, right? And they, I guess like Zuckerberg is like late, late millennial, if not Gen X actually. So I might be wrong about that, but uh, Newman for Zuckerberg? sure. Zuckerberg, I think, I think he's, uh, if he's millennial, he's like elder millennial, I think so. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> that said though, like, there is this like tech CEO billionaire vision of like, we want to change the world. But really what they mean is I want to make billions of dollars and I will stop at nothing to do it. And I think that there is this big contingent of millennials who bought into that, who were like, yes, like we should be able to work for these businesses that are really like changing the game, you know, and I'm not going to impugn any specific startups or anything, but I will say that it is kind of funny that this is coming out around the time that like Amazon's dealing with all this stuff. And yeah, I, I just think that people should be aware of how millennials are looking at the workforce and our current economic system. And they're sort of transitioning away from something this documentary touches on a little bit, which is this feeling like the system works. 
and it, it works for them. And even the most privileged of these people will benefit from what ultimately is probably not going to work out. And of course, this is a very extreme example, right? And there's a lot of other people who this is, this is you know, the same situation doesn't happen to them. But I do think that there's something really interesting there. That said, you know, the documentary, it touches on it lightly, but it doesn't make a full meal out of it, which yeah, it's a, it's a bummer. Uh, maybe someday. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, I feel like one reason why I ultimately like the Fire Festival documentaries and the Inventor a little bit more is I think they're able to be uh, pretty comprehensive, but also pretty damning of their subjects in a way that's like not necessarily like um, ill-informed or anything like that. But they give you a pretty broad overview of who these people are, but also like recognize that like these people are not good people and, and they did bad things and they a lot of people got hurt in the process. And I think this movie, it, it does that enough to where it works, but I feel like they could have been more damning of Adam. Maybe, like I said, maybe just because they don't have enough, like, damning evidence from, like, the subjects or, like, they're not quite as critical of them. Like, they're still kind of fresh from this, so they're they're looking at it from a kind of, like, uh, fresh perspective, and, and maybe that that's the, the fall of the film. But um, I feel like the movie is weirdly more critical of, like, his wife than Adam, which, I mean, results in some, like, kind of funny scenes and, like, it, uh, like a fun cameo and stuff like that. But I, I also feel like they could have done a little bit more to kind of give it, like, to really drive home that, like, this dude did some, like, you know, bad people and he, he or he did he did some bad things and he he, he hurt some people in the process. And yeah. maybe you disagree. I don't exactly know. I, but, no, I um, agree. I think this movie does a weird, weird thing where they're just like, but is she the like person who caused you know like they don't see it outright but they do sort of allude to some weird you know manipulation or something they don't do it fully to be clear they make her uh yeah mm -hmm. they make her like the yoko basically uh, of the story pretty much (laughs) yeah i got a little bit of that sure i i guess yeah i think they pull their punches with him a little bit for a big chunk of the movie because i think they're still like they're hinting at that there's something off about this whole thing. But then when the the chickens come home to roost, I just think that the way that they structured this, it's it feels like a small corner of the film instead of the sort of like, whoa, here's everything sort of like coming to a head, which is what the Fire Festival films did, right? Where they really like outlined what went wrong to a prolonged detail. Whereas this one, it kind of condenses it down to like, the last 20, 25 minutes. So yeah, in the grand scheme of this movie, like you could walk away from it being like, ah, he was so close to like making his dream come true instead of being a little bit more of like, and to the point of like, there are a lot of other things that he did that were really messed up that that they don't even mention. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, this is the rare time, like we talked about, like with with our um, McMillan's conversation, where it's like, that is a miniseries documentary that should have been a movie. And I feel like this might have been the opposite. Like, I think this probably should have been a miniseries by and large. I don't know. I don't know. I I mean, I I go back and forth on that because like a lot of the time they kind of repeat things in the movie. Like they kind of like drive home some points like a lot and then other things they, they kind of gloss over so maybe maybe it could have been a film but they should have focused on like other aspects of it as opposed to just like kind of reiterating some some things we kind of got by that point but um yeah i don't exactly know for sure i do i i think that like man i could totally see it too because like a whole episode that you're just dedicating to how they like sort of like sold this thing you know the interior design nature of it and like what got people in the door you do an episode about that weird summer camp you start to show the cracks a little bit you get into like we live which oh my word Mm -hmm. i can't believe that that existed 
like people really participated in a co-living space like that, which I feel weird even saying that like, I'm shocked that that could happen. Actually, no, I'm not. Cause I I absolutely see what would appeal somebody to that way of life, even though it just feels so culty. Yeah, I mean, the thing about that aspect of the story, and I hope this isn't too crude to say, but I kept waiting for like somebody to be like, and that's when the orgies happened. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> Just kinda like, like break the that. STD outbreak, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. Something like that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was another thing that I thought was kind of missing from this. And we, we can wrap it up here. But yeah, I, I thought it was kind of weird. They never get into like the fact that there's no, like they don't mention HR at all. And how do you deal with like, people in this space who don't get along and you know the the obvious like social awkwardness that's going to happen and eh, they don't really get into that they kind of just sell it as like well you know it basically worked people liked this business and it, it was successful in a way it's just like its downfall was unrelated to yeah. anything you might kind of expect from the like social implications i mean basically that lawyer guy is like the equivalent of like the hr person i guess here technically because he's the one that that brings up like the hr points pretty much i guess by default i thought they kind of glossed over it a little bit but uh you know not in a bad way i just i think that this is yeah maybe you're right maybe maybe a mini series would have worked out for this one who knows but yeah i still think that it's like we said before competent gets the job done b minus for me uh not as good as I, I wished it to be, but yeah, if you, if you happen to check this out, you'll get something interesting. You'll get a unique take on the situation. I think that there's more, there are more stories to tell about WeWork, and I'll, I'll be interested in them as they come along. But uh, yeah, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty close to that. I was between uh, B- minus and a C plus, and I think similar to Concrete Cowboy, I'm going to give this one a low B minus just because like we were talking about, I think there's enough interesting things here. And I think they cover enough interesting ground that like I got a pretty decent overview of the story and I I found it pretty engaging throughout. I I felt like there was a better film that could have come out here and and it it feels frustrating that didn't come to be. But by and large, I, I tend to find these type of documentaries interesting. It, it, it just kind of hard not to be intrigued by something of this scale and like how they just burn through this much money this fast. Even though, like, I mean, like using like the footage of like the coal, like the like um, B roll footage and stuff like that. Like I, I've seen that like a billion times at this point, and it just feels that that felt kind of old. But yeah. um, by and large, like uh, I think I think it's fine. Um, like I said, I think there's a better movie to be made here. I'd, I'd love if Netflix came out and was just like, here's our WeWork yeah. documentary <laughs> and uh, um, paint a little bit of a uh, broader overview of the story in a way that that gave us a better understanding of it because it feels kind of incomplete as this one. But um, yeah, by and large, I think it's fine. Um, I, I think it's worthwhile if you check it out. But in the end, I, I did kind of wish I had a better understanding of this story. I could I could see Netflix being like, we're calling this We Worked. Get it? Because it worked at one point. Not anymore. We broke. (laughs) All right. Well, that is WeWork, or the making and breaking of a $47 billion unicorn. Uh, We didn't mention that a unicorn, by the way, is a startup that's valued at over a billion dollars. And it is now available to watch on Hulu. It's just an hour and 44 minutes long. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.